Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. We're going to be opening the book of Acts. We're in chapter 21, so grab your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 21, and let's pray and let's open the word together. Father, we thank you today for your word, and we do pray today, God, that you would Give us revelation and insight in the knowledge of your will. We pray, Lord, that you would share with us, that you would show us what it is you want us to see. Give us conviction about your word. Give us the power of the Holy Spirit to live out your word, the grace that we need to lay hold of what is true. And Lord, I also just pray for everybody that's watching this, Lord. I pray for your peace and your, your joy. And Lord, I also pray that you would show us your affection and your love for each one of us. We want to know you. We want to know you intimately, and we just say today that we love you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said amen and amen. Well, hey, thanks for joining us. I'm glad that you're tuning in, whether you're in your home or you're in your car, wherever you might be tuning in. I'm glad that you are tuning in to God's Word with us here at Northwest Church. Like I said, grab your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 21. I want to remind you, as we've been in the book of Acts, we've been going chapter by chapter. Last session that we had together, I wasn't the one that was sharing, but we, we were talking about how Paul had left behind the Ephesian elders. He had left Ephesus, and they wept bitterly as they knew that this was the last time that they were going to see Paul. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. Paul is readying his heart and his mind. He knows that he's going to give his life for the gospel, but he's already given his life for the gospel. Isn't that the thing, that no matter what we go through in life, we know that we're not having to give our life for the gospel, physically speaking, when we already have done that. When we've already given Jesus our life, no one can take our life because we've willingly given it to him. And so Paul is in this frame of mind. This is his perspective, and he is moving forward. He's moving he is moving in his ministry. He's moving in his missionary journey with this in mind. And so let's go ahead and read starting in verse 1. I'm only going to get to verse 26 today because it would be a long time if we continued. So here's what it says in God's Word, Acts 21, verse 1. When we had parted from them and had set sail, we ran straight course to Kaz, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara, and having found a ship crossing over into Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And we came inside of Cyprus, leaving it on the left. We kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre, for the ship was to unload its cargo. After looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and kept they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. When our days there had ended, we left and started on our journey while they all with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. And then we went on board the ship, and they returned home again. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. On the next day, we left, and we came to Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now this was... Uh, now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound 
his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking the word of, or excuse me, the will of the Lord be done. Verse 15, after these days, we got ready and started on our own way up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking us to Manasseh of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. After we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the following day, Paul went in with, uh, with us to James and all the other elders were present. After he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they had heard it, they began glorifying God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands were among the Jews of those who believed and they are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore do this and that we tell you, we have four men who are under a vow. This was a Nazarite vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and all will know that there is nothing to the things which, which they have told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice to the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice offered for each of them. We have a couple different things that are happening. Number one, we have Paul and his companions and they're traveling. And throughout their travels, obviously, they're on their way to Jerusalem. This is in Paul's heart. This is what he has heard from the Lord, is to make his way into Jerusalem, that he would be God's witness there. And so Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. As he stops in various places, we read about the Holy Spirit through the brethren, through Christians, telling him what's going to happen in Jerusalem. We have a response from his closest companions that he's traveling with on what he should do as a result of this prophetic, this prophetic insight. And then we have him coming to Jerusalem, meeting with the Jerusalem council. We have James. This is the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. James and the elders at the Jerusalem council are telling him that there's a report and this report about him is that he's telling people to forsake the law of Moses, that people don't have to follow the law. And so, and he's teaching Jews away from that. That would have been blasphemous. And, and so it's really a stumbling block. It's a reproach on Christianity. And even though this is not true, the false reports are coming in. And it's a misunderstanding of what Paul believes and what Paul is teaching and how he's going about his ministry. And so they give him basically some wisdom on how he needs to kind of restore um, his reputation among the people that have believed a lie. And from there, we could go on and read the rest of the chapter. Paul is then seized and he has dealings with the Romans uh, as well as the Jews. The Jews have a certain perspective and they begin to harm him. The Romans actually take him from the Jews 
and give him an opportunity to speak to the thousands of Jews that at this point, many of them don't even know why they're accusing and or trying to kill Paul. And he gets an opportunity at the end of the chapter to preach the gospel to thousands of Jews and the Roman guards allow him to do that, essentially. And so just a couple things that are going on here, and we'll just go back through, and I just want to categorically sort of point out some of the things that were in my mind as I was reading this chapter, because a lot of what we're reading about is just their travels, and there's only some highlights really to even talk about. And so the first couple verses, what we're reading about is the disciples, including Paul, are traveling from one place to another after they left Ephesus. And in verse 4, it says, after looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days. Here they are um, going by Cyrus or Cyprus. They're in Tyree. After looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days. They kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. Just want you to kind of take that in for a minute, that, that there's sort of this... Um, progression of prophetic revelation that Paul is receiving. So wherever he's going, he's being told that he's going to be bound, that his life is, it, I mean, essentially he's going to be bound, he's going to be imprisoned and or worse. And so the prophetic revelation is actually true, but I just want to highlight Paul's response as we continue to read about this. And then it says, then we went on board the ship and returned home again. When we had finished the voyage from Tyree, we arrived at Ptolemus, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day, and on the next day we left and came to Caesarea, entering the house of Philip the Evangelist. Now, Philip the Evangelist is someone we meet in Acts chapter 6. Here it says that he has four daughters who are prophetesses, but we meet him 25 years earlier. I just want you to think about that. 25 years ago was when we met Philip, and he was not Philip the Evangelist at that time. He was Philip the deacon, he was a man that was appointed by those that saw in him the call of God to be a deacon, one that could serve. He could wait tables. He was full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. He was set apart to wait tables 25 years before, and now he's an evangelist. Now he has four daughters who are prophetesses, and the Apostle Paul knows him by name, knows where he lives, and stays with him. And this is really an important lesson is that when you read sort of the span of history in the book of Acts, you see that there are people who started out, we just read about them, they're, they're deacons, they're people that wait tables, and they become this great ministry in the hands of the Lord. And what does that tell us? That tells us that the people who are faithful to do what is in front of them are those that can be used in the hands of God to do anything. Often people are looking for that end place. They're looking for that end place of fruitfulness in ministry. Like, I feel called to do this, this, and this. Well, that's great, but your path to get there is a life of surrender and faithfulness from the small things ultimately to the thing that you feel God has called you to. And if we're not willing to lay our lives down and do the simple and the small, we're never going to do the big and the great. That's the reality. And that's actually what we read about in the book of Acts. Look how the apostle Paul starts out. Look at how all these different ones start out. And we read about them, and this is actually a great example of somebody who waited tables and now is being referred to as an evangelist and is known by name from the Apostle Paul. And so this is really important. We go on reading, it says that as they were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt 
and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, number one, prophets were recognized. I, I think this is important because in today's world, American Christianity, mostly in the evangelical world, we honor the pastoral role. We, we know that there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, according to Ephesians 4, but we don't really call somebody prophet. We call pretty much everybody a pastor that has sort of a role. But in this particular passage, what we read about is a man named Agabus who is called a prophet. We read about Philip's daughters who are called prophetesses. So we have this very clear picture that people who were prophets were identified this is to the point where the scripture actually labels them as such. They don't call a prophet a pastor, even though that's what we do. It's a job description. It, talks, it tells us what their gifting was. It also tells us that they were recognized by the community, and people had the discernment to recognize those that had a clear prophetic gift, and they knew who, were, who false prophets were. And I actually think one of the ways that we can discern false prophets and prophecy is to know who true prophets are, is to know what true prophecy is. It's easy to just wipe it all out and say none of it matters and none of it is important or none of it exists today. And that's one way of dealing with it. That's called cessationism, to deal with theology by basically just canceling it. But that's not the right way and that's not the scriptural way because here we have, this is like Agabus, we first meet him 15 years before Acts 21. And so 15 years before this in Acts chapter 11, I believe it is, we read about how Agabus gives a prophetic word that there's gonna be a famine in Jerusalem and this kickstarts the believers taking up an offering so that they can send money to the other disciples in Jerusalem and have enough money so that they can buy grain and they can buy food. So his prophetic word was on, his prophetic word was accurate. He's a recognized prophet. There's basically a company of prophets. People are recognized in these days. And that's important for us to remember. We want to have the prophetic gift. We want prophets among us, but we want to rightly recognize them and understand their role and their gifting. This is very important for us in the days in which we're living. And by the way, in this last year, we've seen so many voices, so many people called prophets on the internet, prophets uh, who people honor as a prophetic voice. And they've had all these prophecies, and these prophecies have not come true, namely prophecies about who's going to be the next president or who's going to remain the president. These prophecies have not come to pass. Very few of them have apologized. I have said in, in my book, Prophesy, and I've said many other times from the pulpit that if you make a mistake, you make an apology. If you make a prophecy that is not accurate, you need to come out and publicly repent. If the prophecy was public, the, prophet, the po apology needs to be public as well. And this is really important. And so I, pre I am hoping that prophets are going to issue apologies, that they're not going to act like it didn't happen, which is what has gone on for many, many years is that these prophets or these people online can say whatever they want and people that want to hear that will say, hey, look what this person said, even though we don't know their life or they're not recognized as a person among us, we, we, we send these videos around as though these prophecies are right, but we don't qualify the prophet because we really like what they have to say. I just wanna point something out here in this passage this was a prophet who was recognized not just as one who had a gift, but his life had to also be qualified. I want to say that again. His life had to be qualified. If you're someone who is prone to watching videos from prophets 
or people that say they're prophets or people that say other people say are prophets and you do not know their life, you do not know what church they're from, you do not know how they treat their spouse, you do not know how they treat their kids, you do not know how they live before the Lord, you do not know what their involvement is with the local church, you do not know if they're above reproach, you do not know anybody that knows them. Can I honestly tell you that that is not a healthy practice to get your prophetic words from people you do not know and you don't know anybody that knows them? This is part of the problem that brings us to where we are today. Agabus was a recognized prophet. He had, credible, uh, he had a credible history. He was well-known in his community, and others could call him a prophet based on his life, based on his example, based on his gifting, not just his gifting. In an internet world, we do it based on gifting and whether or not we agree with the prophecy. And this is how we get deceived. This is how people are being deceived today is they are listening to not the people in their life that have a good example, that clearly have good works and that have prophecies that people may or may not want to hear. But what we have is we have all of these people that can say whatever they want, they can receive offerings and they can spin those prophecies around. And then when their prophecies don't come to pass. They usually don't make an apology. And a lot of people wink because they're basically just still mad that the thing didn't happen anyways. One of the things the prophetic ministry cannot be is just filtering words through current events. You know, for years we have had Bible teachers read the book of Revelation and interpret the book of Revelation through current events. I believe prophets are doing the same thing. They are getting prophecies for current events and everybody is just eating it up. What we need is prophets who prophesy the ways of God. We need prophets who speak forth the ways and the righteousness of God that call the people of God to righteousness. And let me just encourage you, if you're a person who has been listening to online prophets, turn those voices off, please. Connect to your local church, tune in to who God has put in front of you, see their example, see their way of life. This is what the scripture says. The scripture says to submit yourself to leaders that you are able to see their example and their way of life. Not people you don't know, not people you've never heard of except for somebody else, or maybe you like their word, but this is really important. You say, Ben, why are you going off on this? Because to be honest with you, I'm pretty embarrassed by the the prophetic voice that has been prominent in the last 10 to 20 years. The weird and strange prophecies that have been given, time and time again, they have been off. It's embarrassing to even say we believe in the prophetic when this is what we have. Friends, let me tell you, we need prophets that prophesy the ways of God, not just who's going to be president because that's what everybody wants to know or everybody wants to hear. If it's a word we want to hear, we should take a step back and ask the Lord if it's really a word. It may not be a word. It may just be a word that we want to hear. And so let me encourage you to know the people that you're listening from. I think it's been kind of amazing in this last season to see how many people will listen to those that they don't know and overlook the words of the people that they do know, the people that have the credibility, the people that have been consistent in the chaos and listen to those they have no clue who they are whatsoever. Friend, that is not a good practice. That is not healthy. You and I wouldn't do that in our regular lives. So let's not do that spiritually ever. Let's never do that again. Let's, when we receive words about who names and dates and places and all this kind of stuff, let's probe that. Let's question that. That's why we have the word of God so that we would stay consistent in the chaos. 
Amen and amen. Well, anyways, back to Agabus. We meet Agabus 15 years before Acts 21. In Acts chapter 11, he gives a credible word, prophetic word then. He's giving a credible prophetic word now. But look at how they respond to the word. And this really brings up probably the thing that we need to land on when we're talking about Acts chapter 21. It says, when we heard this, he did this prophetic act. He took his belt and he bound him up and said, this is what's going to happen to the man that owns this belt. That's called a prophetic act. Prophets in the Old Testament did that. Agabus did that. That's something that the Lord will direct some people to do at times. It says, when we heard this, verse 12, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go into Jerusalem. See, here's the thing. The assumption is that if something is going to happen that we, that we don't f- foresee being the right thing, suffering, difficulty, let's avoid difficulty, let's avoid suffering, the word must have come so that we can avoid the suffering, right? That's, I mean, that, naturally that makes sense, and uh, we've got to give it to him. We would think the same thing, but we've got to take notice here because Paul says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul's perspective is not the same as their perspective. Jesus had readied his heart and his mind, sending him to Jerusalem to give witness to who he is, sort of in this, the greatest capacity that he'll ever get. And he does do that before he dies. Paul has readied his mind. He's readied his heart. This word that he received here maybe wasn't for Paul. Maybe it was for his companions. Maybe the word was not for Paul to further ready his heart because he was already sure that this is what was going to happen. But maybe the people around him needed that prophetic word. And sometimes the community needs the word. Sometimes the community needs to hear that we foresaw this was going to happen and so we can be comforted when it does, rather than the idea that we need to avoid. We need to avoid any suffering whatsoever. And I just want to tell you, like, we want to get out of suffering. We want to get out of it any way that we can. We don't want to grow through it. We want to get out of it. We don't want to go through it. We want to be removed from it. We want it to be removed from us. This is the normal thought process for most people is that, Lord, would you get us out of this? Lord, would you remove this from me? I'm not saying that's wrong all the time. I'm just saying that that is usually our MO. That is usually our first way of thinking. But here we have Paul who is determined as somebody who is a missionary, as somebody who is an apostle in the church, as somebody who has been directed by the Lord Jesus to go and stand witness for Jesus' sake. We've got to remember, friends, if we're missional, we'll be willing to suffer. But if we're not missional, we will not be willing to suffer. And that's what this year has been teaching me more and more, is that people that are missionally minded are more understanding of the times in which we're living, not accepting that this is, what, uh, this is where it's supposed to stay, but rather when we're missional, we're thinking about other people, we're thinking about reaching them, and we're not concerned about suffering ourselves. We're willing to go through what we need to go through in order to get people to Christ. And that's where our hearts need to be in this season. We need to be people that will do whatever it takes to get people to Christ. Are you that person? Am I that person? Have, am I willing to suffer for the gospel? Am I willing to suffer? See, God's going to give us prophetic words, but these prophetic words may not be, hey, you're going to be blessed and bountiful and get everything that you ever wanted and you're God's favorite and all that stuff. The word might be, you're going to be bound and changing me in prison for the rest of your life. One of my favorite authors is Watchman Nee, and he was in prison for many years and he actually died. I believe the story goes, he died like two weeks before he was going to get out of prison in communist China. He had an opportunity to escape communist China 
and uh, which is his home country. And he, he said, I'm not, going, I'm not going to escape. I'm going to give my life. He was an apostle in China. I'm going to give my life for my people. And he stayed there. And it wasn't long after that he made the choice to stay there rather than coming to America where he was put in prison. Well, it was in prison that he wrote all of his letters. And those letters that were written in Chinese or Mandarin, I believe, would end up becoming his 200-something books, which are now online for free for everybody to read. Yeah, he died two weeks before he was going to get out of prison. But the reality was is that he was willing to suffer. And as a result of that, not only did he reach a lot of his brethren, but he was also able to write more books than most people could ever dream of. People like me now read them today, and they've been translated into so many languages of the world. Is our life in the hands of the Lord? I mean, here's a man living in communist China, and he makes a decision knowing he's probably going to go to prison, and he chooses to do that. How does that... How does that uh, How does that work out for the will of God? How does that work out for the purposes of God? How can we be comforted to know that? We can be comforted to know that because God's in charge of everything. No matter what men do, God has a plan, God has a purpose, and if we're submitted to his plan and purpose, we can turn a prison sentence into a prison ministry. That's what Paul did. That's what other people have done, and that's what we need to do. Our heart has to be set on the kingdom. Our mind has to be stayed fixed on the gospel. We've got to be missional, and if we're missional, we're ready to suffer. It's not that we want to suffer. It's that we are willing to do whatever it takes to glorify the Lord. That's what you want. That's what I want. We've got to be these people in these times because if we're not missional, we are going to live in self-preservation. We're going to live in self-pity. We're going to try to protect ourselves. We're going to try to protect our way of life. We're going to try to protect our own mindset. We're going to look for prophets and prophecies to say whatever we want to say that makes us feel better and keeps the type of life that we want to keep rather than thinking about people that are on their way to an eternity without Jesus. And so here's the prayer that we've got to pray. Lord, whatever it takes to get people to know you, to walk with you, to be yours. Lord, use my life in whatever way that you see fit. I'm not going to try to just preserve. I'm not just going to try to keep to myself. I want to give my life as a drink offering for many. And that's where Paul lived. That's how Paul lived his life. That's how we want to live our life. And so we see Paul's response and he's like, stop, stop crying. Stop breaking my heart. I'm willing to die in Jerusalem. And so finally, they basically say, hey, look, the will of the Lord be done because we're not going to convince Paul. And that's how we need to be as well. I just want to encourage us. I mean, I'm going to stop right here because there's a lot more that we could talk about. But let me just say, the thing that I've been meditating on in this chapter is simply that I want to be willing to suffer. I don't want to suffer. I want to be willing to suffer. There's a huge difference. Nobody wants to walk into suffering. This is just part of the Christian life. And I think we, we fight it. We fight giving our hearts to Jesus to the point where it would cost us something. And we've got to be willing to pay whatever price to bring people to Christ. Jesus had spoken to Paul and he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to give your life as a witness in Jerusalem. And ultimately he's going to go and he's going to be a witness in Rome. And that's where God ultimately sends him. But he, in order to get there, he had to suffer quite a bit. He had to seriously suffer. And this is This is the question for us. Are we willing to do what God says no matter what it costs us? Are we willing to do what God says no matter what it costs us? The answer in our hearts has to be yes, because it's in that place that God will use us how he wants, and it will be for maximum fruit, which is really what John 15 talks about. 
that our life would bear much fruit to the glory of God the Father. And let's just pray into that today. Would you just join me, join your hearts with my heart today, that we would just be willing to surrender to God no matter what it means, that he's just worthy of it all. And we want to be people that are missional. We want to be people that are mindful of his mission over anything else in our life. That's the legacy that we want to leave behind for our children and for the people that are around us. And when God gives us prophetic words, they may not be words that we want to hear. They may not be words that that naturally lead us into that victorious living that we often think is victorious living. Victorious living is a life of surrender. That's what victorious living looks like. So you can have on the outward what looks like a victorious life when in all reality, we're actually just stopping ourselves from fully surrendering to Jesus. I don't want that life. I want the life of victory that means I'm fully surrendered to him and his purposes. And so let's just press into that for a moment. Would you just join me in prayer as we look to the Lord? Father, we thank you today for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for your servant, Paul, and for the many disciples that gave their lives in full surrender to you and your purposes and your plan. And today, Lord, we're living in a time that is shaky. Uh, Everything that can be shaken is being shaken. And Lord, our lives are being shaken. And so we just ask you right now that you would prepare our hearts and ready our hearts to do what you tell us to do, to be who you want us to be. And Lord, my prayer today is that we would be missional, that we would be mindful of your mission and ready and aware of what you want us to do, that we would not just try to preserve a way of life that we once had, but we would be willing to give all of our life for the lives of others so that they might come to know you. I pray that you would shift every part of us into a place of being missional. That's what I want, Lord. And I pray that for everybody watching and listening today, that we would have that same heart, that we would have that same mindset, and that we would be willing to suffer if that's necessary. We'd be willing to do whatever it takes. And we would not just want prophecies that tell us things that we want to hear, but we would want your word in our, to our hearts whatever that needs to be. Whatever you're saying, let us hear that, Lord. And so, Lord, today we thank you for what you're doing, and we pray simply that we could be a part of it without reservation, without hesitation, in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.